If you would, please take out your Bibles and turn with me to Paul's letter to the Ephesian church. We're going to be spending the next few minutes primarily in chapter 1, but we'll start in chapter 6. As we go to God's word, let's um, go to him once again in prayer. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we ask now that you would speak to us, your people. Father, would you speak to us through your word and by your spirit? We thank you, Father, that you have provided a reliable guide for our journey. You have given us your word and your spirit. So, Father, would you give us a growing hunger to know you through your word and a growing dependence upon the illumination of your Holy Spirit to understand your word and to put it into practice? Go before us now, Father, as we come to you through your word, for we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Another sermon on the resurrection. Um, Some of you may be thinking that wasn't Easter Sunday last week. Well, it was, Um, but in God's good providence, um, there was going to be someone here preaching this week, but he wasn't able to be here. And um, I, and I trust all of us, need continued um, reflection upon all that we have as a result of the resurrection of Jesus. Um, many churches, as I even drove past, um, uh, past them this morning, their, their parking lots were uh, not as full this morning as last Sunday. And, and there's an, some sense in the wider Christian community of a post-Easter letdown. But not really here, because every Lord's Day, we focus on the resurrection. The church calendar uh, was recovered at the time of the Protestant Reformation of the 16th and 17th centuries. Not just a few designated holy days throughout the year, but rather 52 holy days, a weekly regular cycle. It's the Lord's Day where we... Always before us is the life of Jesus, the death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, the ascension of Jesus, the promised return of Jesus. The resurrection is indeed good news. It's good news in the midst of a world filled with news of death. As we saw last week, and have been always growing in our understanding, the resurrection doesn't just mean life after death. Remember, Lazarus was raised from the dead, but Lazarus died again. This is not just raised from the dead. This is new life that Jesus has, a body that will no longer see a decay or corruption. And we, united by faith in him, will also have his same destiny. Last week, we saw in 1 Peter 1, the resurrection of Jesus and your identity, where we saw that we are new, we have new life. That new life is being guarded. That new life is being tested. And that new life is, even in the midst of trials, joyful, joyful. You may remember those of you that were here last week, um, the mention of the bumper sticker that says, life is tough and then you die. Absolutely true, biblically sound bumper sticker. But it's also a biblically sound bumper sticker that says, For the Christian, life is tough, and then you die, yet shall you live. 
As I mentioned a moment ago, we live in a world of death. It's around us, and for many of us, it's a world of fear. Kids, have you ever said this, I'm scared to death? Have you ever said that? I'm scared to death. Have you ever also said, I'm scared of death? One of the most prominent, dominant commands in all of Scripture is do not be afraid. Do not fear. Fear not. Why? Why would that be a significant, dominant theme? This call not to be afraid, to not fear. It's because at the root of many people's fears of many things, at the root is a fear of death. Why? Because many people, because most all people have a very correct sense that death is an intrusion. It's not the way it should be. Now we may succeed in postponing death through a healthy lifestyle, medical advances, but we cannot escape death. The Christian life, as we will see, is a battle and one of the things that we fight in the Christian life is fear. It's helpful, I think, to remember that um, before people come to faith in Christ, they are at war with God. But then through faith in Christ, they are at peace with God. But as soon as they are at peace with God, they are at war once again, but this time with the world, the flesh, and the devil. And so a good novel for the Christian life would be war and peace and war. A few years ago, in January through April of 2013, um, we did a sermon series from Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 20, entitled this, Don't Just Do Something, Stand There, Fighting the Good Fight of the Faith. The series began and ended with chapter 6, verse 10. If you would, look at chapter 6, verse 10. Finally... Paul says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. That first sermon began looking at that text, and it was entitled, Called to be Strong, where we took a look at the battle we face, the weakness we possess, and the strength God provides. We were called to be strong as we face an enemy Paul would say is powerful, wicked, and cunning in his deceit. Now chapter 6 verse 10 is actually an echo of chapter 1 verse 19. When Paul urges us to draw upon the power and might and strength of the Lord Jesus, he uses the same trio of words which he has used in verse 19 of chapter 1. Look with me now back at chapter 1. The immeasurable greatness of his power. The working of his great might. Let's take a look at the context for that particular verse as I read verses 15 through 23 of Ephesians 1. Remember, this is Paul praying. And he's writing this prayer in his letter to the church. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints... 
I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Notice in this record of Paul's prayer are several requests. He's asking, he's telling them that he asked God to give them a spirit of wisdom and of knowledge in the revelation of Christ. He requests that they would have their eyes, the eyes of their heart enlightened. Remember that the heart is the center of a person. It's their center of perception, of decision. And he requests that they may know three things. And we see that in three clauses. The first thing is the hope to which he has called you. This hope looks back to the beginning when you were called to a hope. The second thing is to know the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, primarily looking forward to the the fullness of that inheritance, but also the immeasurable riches of his power, the immensity of his power in the present. Paul is praying here that their spiritual eyes will be opened wider to see what God has done for them in Christ, not to be given power, so much as to know the power of God that is already at work in them. So let's take a look at God's power. What is the power of God? Notice Paul's vocabulary, in particular in verse 19. What is the immeasurable greatness of his power? Paul is attempting to exhaust the resources of the Greek language by piling up graphic synonyms for power in order to convey an expression of just something of the divine might. Um, It was interesting, uh, we heard as our main speaker down at this conference, uh, the Reverend Dr. Ian Hamilton, a Scottish um, minister, and he is very educated, and his ability to to speak is is, almost unparalleled. And several times he said that God is incomprehensible. That you, you're out of your depth when you start to, to consider the divine. And here Paul is recognizing that he's out of his depth when he's trying to describe the greatness of God's power. Indeed, Paul as a, as a Jew would have understood the power of God in, in creation, in providence. And what we heard from from uh, Isaiah 40, God's people needed to be reminded that God is not like them. He is powerful. He doesn't faint. He doesn't rest. God's 
right arm is strong. But here, Paul is going to talk not just about God's power in general, but rather God's power as resurrection power. Paul is going to use an illustration here of power, and he goes to the most amazing display of power he can think of, and that is the power that God exercised when he raised Christ from the dead. You see this expression in 19, toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. The working of his great might. Um, when, when I went back to the uh, original language, uh, if you want a literal translation, kind of a wooden translation, what you get is the energy of the might of his strength. The energy of the might of his strength. We've been reflecting over the last week or so where the, the cross is the greatest demonstration of the love of God. But it was immediately followed by this greatest demonstration of the power of God, the empty tomb, where God demonstrates that he overcomes sin and death. Indeed, there are two powers that man cannot control, death and evil. Man is mortal. Kids, what that means is that man will die. Man cannot avoid death. But also, man is not only mortal, man is fallen. He cannot in and of himself overcome evil. But God in Christ, Paul is wanting us to know, has conquered both. Death is a bitter and relentless enemy. And therefore, God has done what man cannot do, and that is to conquer sin and death. But it's not just the power of God that Paul is talking about, that's somehow out there. It's the power of God in you. The power of God in you. Kids, in particular, but adults can listen in. Who's the you? We talked earlier about the importance of prepositions downstairs in our Sunday school class. Well, here is the importance of pronouns. Who's the you? Look again at verse 19. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward, well, us, us. Toward who? Toward us. Toward those who believe. In other words, who does this power apply to? Everyone without distinction? No, us who believe. You who believe. The immeasurable greatness of his power toward or in us who believe. Remember Paul in Romans 1 said this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone. And how does he continue? Everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. It's power only for those who believe. The words of Paul's prayer point us back to the blessings and resources that have become ours in Christ 
The one who in the words of Westminster Shorter Catechism 26 has conquered all his and our enemies. And because Jesus is the truly representative man, his resurrection and glorification are a picture of what God will accomplish in us, in those who believe. Well, how? How? The power of God in you, how? In a word through union with Christ, Ephesians is Paul's letter where he sets out union with Christ, faith in Christ. You were once dead, now you are alive in Christ. In chapter 2, verse 5, he speaks of how Christ made, God made us alive together with Christ, union with Christ. This power of God in you, how? Through the union with Christ. And what is it? What is it? It's resurrection power. Resurrection power. Flip over to chapter 3, verse 20. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Again, right in the middle of that passage, according to the power at work, where? Outside of us? No, within us. And he says something similar in Colossians 2. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith, in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. What are the two powers that man cannot control? I mean, we can harness the power of the wind. We can harness the power of water. We can harness the power of nuclear energy, right? But we cannot control the power of death and the power of evil. Man is mortal. He cannot avoid death. Man is fallen. He cannot overcome evil. But Christ has conquered both. And therefore, He and He alone can rescue us from both. The resurrection power of God in you, in you specifically for the battle that you and I face. The power of God in you in the battle. Sometimes the, the battle is intense and acute. For many of us, it may be chronic. Sometimes the battle may, may seem um, non-existent, but we all know that the Christian life is a battle. We face enemies and opposition. But the good news, of course, is the one who is in us is greater than the one who is in the world. But I want to make a few general comments about life in the battle. Most of our failures and defeats are due to foolish self-confidence when we do not believe or we forget how formidable our spiritual enemies are, those enemies that are powerful, that are wicked, and that are cunning that Paul continues to describe in chapter 6, verses 11 and 12. And we are strong and stand when we recognize that in view of the reality that only the power of God can defend us and deliver us from the might, the evil, and the craft of the devil. 
Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 12 that God's power is made perfect in our weakness. And so what does Paul do? He boasts in his weakness. Why? So that Christ's power can rest on him. The battle we face, the weakness we possess, and the strength God provides. Well, what does resurrection power look like in the battle? Again, chapter 6, verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Be strong. It's, it's that power. Chapter 6, 10 echoes what he said in chapter 1, verse 19. It's not only saving power, but it's sanctifying power. It's transforming power. It's power to change. Whenever we say no to sin, we demonstrate resurrection power. My friends, have you all ever struggled with something? Have you ever faced something that out of habit or training, this is how you've always responded? And maybe it's a word of anger. Maybe it's a word of sarcasm. Maybe it's a word of you're going to build yourself up by putting other people down. Have you ever been able to change? Have you ever been able to almost say something that would have cut somebody down and all of a sudden recognized that, why don't I not do that? Why don't I instead speak a gentle word softly? Do you know what kind of power is at work in you? It's not willpower. It is the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. That's what Paul is wanting believers to see resurrection power. I'll give another example. Um, children, have you ever uh, wanted to cheat on a test? Have you? Have you ever been able to not cheat and recognize that, wow, how did I do that? For the Christian, it's God's resurrection power at work in you. But let's ask this question. How does resurrection power work in the battle? It works primarily through humility. Now, how can I say that? Because God gives you, first and foremost, the power to humble yourself before him and one another. And once you're in that position, then you're in the position to fight and to resist. Turn with me to the letter of James and have your hand in James chapter 4 and be prepared to go over to 1 Peter chapter 5. Look with me as I read James chapter 4 verses 6 and 7. But he gives more grace. Therefore it says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Now turn over to James chapter 5 with what we just heard from or excuse me, 1 Peter chapter 5, beginning in verse 6. 
Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. What was the pattern that we heard in James? Humble yourself, then you resist, he will exalt you. What was the pattern in Peter? Humble yourself. Acknowledge your weakness. Acknowledge your need for God's strength and then he will provide it in abundance to resist, to fight, to stand. And why is this power effective in the battle? Because it's the resurrection power of Christ. It's not power native to you. Because Christ through his resurrection has conquered sin and death. You being united to Christ by faith have also conquered in the full sense sin and death. Remember Jesus says in me you will have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But John in his letter to the beleaguered church assuring them of salvation in Christ through faith says greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. So let's end with a couple of questions. Do you know the power of his resurrection? I didn't say do you know about the power of his resurrection, but do you know the power of his resurrection? Earlier, we heard from Philippians chapter 3, these words. Paul says, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Interesting, isn't it? Paul says, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. And may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. So let me rephrase this question. Do you want to know the power of his resurrection? But notice Paul is a wise man because he knows that there's a battle going on. So he says and speaks about sharing in the sufferings of Christ. Because it's in our suffering, it's in our difficulty where we can demonstrate the resurrection power of Jesus. Have you ever known somebody that the world is really falling apart on them? People have turned against them. A spouse has left them. Um, The funds got deceitfully taken from them. And at the end of the day, they are joyful and humble. How can that happen? Through the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. And finally, this question. Have you seen that faith in Jesus Christ drives out fear, specifically the fear of death? 
In Hebrews 2, we read these amazing, wonderful words. He himself likewise partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who, through fear of death, were subject to lifelong slavery. My friends, you may live with people, you may live around people, you may know people who are controlled by the fear of death. They try to push it away, medicate it away, but it's right in front of them. My friends, the resurrection of Jesus is wonderful, great news. Because God's power, resurrection power, in and for the battle that we face is available to all to all who believe. May God be pleased to give us faith and grow us in our faith so that we will be able to more and more see the immeasurable greatness of his power. Power that's most clearly demonstrated in the raising of Jesus Christ from the dead, but power that is available right here, right now, to everyone who believes. Let's pray. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you sent your Son, the eternal second person of the Holy Trinity, on a rescue mission, a mission where he destroyed our enemy and delivered us from fear of death. Father, we thank you that in Christ we have died to sin and in Christ we live to righteousness. And we thank you, Father, that as Christ has overcome sin and death, so also those who were united to him by faith overcome sin and death. Oh, Father, we acknowledge that individually and as a church we are facing always a battle. And in and of ourselves, we are very, very weak. But yet, Father, you are very, very strong. And we see the greatness of your power, the energy of your mighty power at work in raising Jesus from the dead. Father, we thank you for the resurrection of Christ and the guarantee that that is for us as well, that though we die, Yet shall we also live, for we pray in his name. Amen.